If you brought your Bibles tonight, and I hope that you have, turn with me to uh, Joshua chapter 1. Way back there in the Old Testament, Joshua chapter 1. Well, while you're finding Joshua chapter 1, I'm going to do something. um, I hope it don't embarrass you, Donna, but she looks at me now. Do you remember the first time we was ever in a service together that I preached? Do you remember the first time we was ever in a service together that I preached? I was trying to think of a nice way. It was at Cold Springs. Okay, that's what I thought. Quarterly meeting at Cold Springs. Do you remember what I preached on? <laughs> well, I'm testing your memory here, all right? Okay, all right. Well, <laughs> it was right here out of this passage of Scripture in Joshua chapter 1. Now, there's a reason. Don't everybody test me on this. I can't remember the first time any, you know, all the rest of us was in the service together and let alone what I preached. But I do on this one, and there's a reason why, and I'll get to it here in just a minute. But let's read these Scriptures. We'll go to the Lord together in prayer, and, I, and, I, and I'll tell you why and get on with my sermon, Okay. Joshua chapter 1, verse 1. Now after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, Thou and all this people, unto the land which I do give to them, even to the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I given unto you, as I said unto Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, even unto the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and unto the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your coast. There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, so will I be with thee. I will not fail thee nor forsake thee. Be strong and of a good courage. For unto this people shalt thou divide for an inheritance the land, which I swear unto their fathers to give them. Only be thou strong and very courageous, that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left, that thou mayest prosper wheresoever thou goest. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous." And thou shalt have good success. Have not I commanded thee? Be strong and of a good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. 
For the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we just humbly come before you one more time here this evening. We thank you, Lord, for the good day. We thank you for the many blessings, Lord. We thank you for the opportunity we've had to spend the time that we have in in your house worshiping you. We thank you, Lord, for uh, everyone that's come out, both services, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for the many blessings that you poured out on us, Lord God. But we thank you most of all for your son, Jesus, Lord God, that you sent him in giving so that we might have life, have that life eternally and abundantly. God, I just pray tonight, Lord, that you'd just continue to move in our midst here tonight. I pray that you'd lift us up. I pray that you would encourage us. I pray that you'd draw us near to you tonight, oh Lord. I pray, Lord, if there's any amongst us tonight that's letting anything creep into their lives that shouldn't be there, anything that doesn't belong, anything that would hinder their walk with you, oh Lord, if there be any sin there, God, convict us of it. Bring it to our attention. Lord, don't let us get any peace until we would repent of it and get it out of the way. Because the most important thing is our walk with you, our relationship with you. Oh, Lord, go with us tonight. Help us, Lord. Open our our eyes and our ears and, and give us understanding tonight. Lord, we don't want to be just hearers of your word. We want to be doers of your word. So, God, I'm praying. Lord, give us receptive hearts. Oh, Lord, you tell, your word, you tell us, you promise us in your word that it will not return unto you void, but it will accomplish the things, the tasks that you intended for it to accomplish. It will find and hit its target. So, God, have your way and your will here in our midst. And we'll be sure and give you every bit of the glory for it. Help me preach your word here tonight. Give me the words to say. Lord, I'm asking for your anointing, for a filling of your spirit, your holy unction. Oh, Lord, have your way. Have your will. And we'll give you all the glory because we love you. We worship you. We praise your holy name. And we ask it all in the precious and holy name of Jesus. Amen. Now. I just confessed and have a witness to that confession that I've preached on this passage of Scripture before. And I will let you in on something in case that you, you haven't figured it out or realized this, but there are certain passages of Scripture that get preached on all, often. Right? I mean, can, can you imagine that a, a preacher will preach all of his life but only preach on Noah and the flood one time? Only preach on, uh, you know, Matthew 24 and the end times and the signs of the times one time. Only preach on Jesus walking on the water one time. Well, of course not. No, there are certain passages, there are certain passages like those, uh, the, uh, you know, the creation in Genesis 1 and 2, the fall in Genesis 3, uh, the, uh, you know, Abel slaying his brother Cain in, in, in Genesis 4, right? Uh, you know, we could go on and on, right? And we could see so many times the calling and the promises made to Abraham, the first covenant made with him in Genesis chapter 12, where you could back up to the, to the Tower of Babel, right? Or, 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 or Joseph, right? Or, 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 or in 
Exodus, the coming out of Egypt, right? Uh, the calling of Moses, the burning bush, or the crossing of the Red Sea, right? You, you've got certain passages that are, that are well known and well used, right? That, that I would say all preachers that preach for very long preaches over and over again. Uh, you know, different messages or different angles or maybe different thoughts, but same passage of Scripture, maybe same points, I don't know. Uh, and then there's, then each one of us preachers, we've got certain passages of Scripture that I think, I do anyways, and I think other preachers are this way, that are just personal favorites. Something that maybe God has just opened up to you and shown you and, and, and you just kind of keep coming back to it. This passage of Scripture is one of those. There is so many sermons right here in this passage of Scripture. I couldn't even begin to even tonight to go through and pick out... Uh, Obviously, all of them that is here, but I mean, just some of them that jump out to me to begin with is, is, is a sermon on, 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 on new leadership, you know, on the transfer of leadership, right? We, we're going from Moses to Joshua, so here, in a sense, leadership-wise is, is, is a, a man that is just stepping up and taking over and leading the nation of Israel, right? Leading them from, uh, from the time that they spent wandering in the wilderness into the promised land, right? Person, person could definitely preach on that. One that is probably used often in this passage of Scripture is verse 3. Every place is the sole of your foot shall tread upon that have I given unto you, right? So, I mean, that right there, there, there is some good preaching that can come out of that with the different things that's going on right now and, and, and what is the land that is Israel's. I can see some, some end time messages just out of the description of the boundaries here. I don't know if you followed any of that at all, but that's a lot different than what the boundaries are drawn over there, right? The boundaries they got drawn on the map over there ain't near as big as the ones that is described that God give to them right here. They'd be some good preaching on that probably come out of here be strong and of a good courage later on he says uh, he says it again in verse 9 be strong and of good courage be not afraid i've preached that message a few different times from different scriptures right uh, you know the do not depart uh, from from the words that god has spoken from the 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 book of the law right observe everything that he has said right um, which Moses, my servant, uh, commanded thee, turn not from it to the to the right hand or to the left hand. Boy, that'd be a good message there about not turning from the turning off the path, the straight and narrow path, right? Not turning, deviating from what God has laid out. In many, many more messages, the very last thing that I read: For the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. Boy, that goes right along with uh, uh, in the end of, uh, what is that, Hebrews 13, 8, where, where he says, I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. That's, that would be another good one there. The reason I remember this, I, I called because I thought, I was pretty sure that I was right, that that's the first time that, uh, that we'd ever been in a service together where, where I preached. And I definitely, my memory, I could have played that off like I've got this really good memory and never forget anything. But that ain't true. Uh, I, I probably can't do that. I can't call that out very many times. But I remember that. And I remember it really well. Not because they was a huge crowd there. They wasn't. They was just a handful of us there that night. A little country church. 
Best I remember, there was a good spirit there that night. But it wasn't nothing extraordinary or anything like that. There wasn't a fist fight in the parking lot or anything like that to make it memorable. Although those kinds of things have happened at churches before. I remember it so well because I had been asked to preach the message that was on a Friday night. I had been asked to preach the message that night. And God had led me to Joshua chapter 1. And I was studying. And I was studying. And, and sometimes, man, for me anyways, the way that a message comes, it, there, there's just several different ways the Lord will lead you into a message or will lead me into a message. And there's sometimes, like the, in that instance, I'm, I feel like I'm led or directed to a certain passage of Scripture. I, I, you know, and, but I just I, I couldn't find the message that was in it. There was a lot of good stuff in it, but I, I don't know how to explain this to you. I, I don't know exactly how to put it in words. When, you, when you're hunting for a message, and that's just a, a term, a phrase that is used, when you're hunting for a message, it's not like you just go through there and you just say, oh, well, this, this passage of Scripture will work, or this passage of Scripture will have, you know, has a good point in it. I'll make that point. Or you just start at one end and work your way through, the, you know, through it or something like that. That just, you know, if you're teaching through, you can do that, but not if you're preaching. Uh, not like I preach anyways. It just doesn't take that for whatever. You might say, well, you might all try a different way to preach. I don't know. But anyways, it just doesn't work for me. See, the only way I know how to explain it is what it is that I feel like God wants me to preach. It has got to come to life to me. I don't know how else to explain it. And if I don't make sense, I don't, maybe I'll think of something else here in a minute. That's the best I can do. It just comes together. It comes to life. And all of a sudden, out of that will spring. Like a well of water. Like literally, uh, like an artesian well deep inside, springing up, right? And it just keeps coming and coming. And, you know, more and more, the next thing you know, you get up here and you start out with nothing and you preach for an hour and a half. I mean, that's just, you know, kind of how it goes. I couldn't figure out what it was that God, I felt, I tried to go to other passages of scripture, I kept thinking, well, maybe that's, you know, not it, and I keep going to other places, and I just, for me, when I try to go to other places, I can't even concentrate or focus on them, so I keep coming back, I keep coming back there, and finally, that word, success, that has been, God has used that, that has been a a, 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 he's used that like a, like a well of living water springing up in me that has just continued to keep springing up. I have preached in different ways on, on this passage of Scripture. On, not the same sermon. Don't think I just get up here and preach the same sermon over and over. I, don't do, I couldn't do that, I don't think, if I wanted to. But anyways, but on that success, man, there's been a lot there. The thing that I that really jumped out at me that, that when I was studying to preach that night is do you realize, okay, so the word success, that's not one of them weird, uncommon Bible words, now is it? 
right? It's not like sanctification or transfiguration or, you know, they, they some of them big, you know, $10 college words in the Bible that you wouldn't know if it wasn't for studying the Bible. Success is not one of those. Success is one of those words that people use all the time. Do you, do, do you have any idea probably how many books has been sold uh, based just solely off using that word success in the title? I thought before I ought to just put, I've preached, I don't know how many different sermons, and I, got the, I think I got the notes for most of them on success. I thought I ought to just put them together in a book and just title it The Secret to Success or something like that. It'd probably sell just because it says success on it, because of the ideas that people have about success. That means, that means success, that idea of success, that's got to be really important to people, Right? I mean, if people are willing to just lay down good, hard-earned money on anything they can get their hands on, right? These days, it'd be more than just a book. It'd probably be podcasts and, 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 I don't know, courses and who knows what all. CDs, to, or, or, well, who listens to CDs anymore? Probably, uh, um, um, well, it's, I guess podcasts. I don't know. Whatever it is, however you listen to stuff anymore, Right, buy stuff and people sell stuff, and you pay, you know, twenty nine ninety five, and you have my uh, my three step course on how to be successful. Right, that word's important. <laughs> Got to be important. Do you realize that that word appears the sum total? of one time in all of Scripture. All of Scripture, search your Bible, prove me wrong. Now, let me, let me qualify that. I'm talking about the King James Version of the Bible. You find others that might say whatever. I'm not, I'm not, taking, uh, I, I'm not making any promises on that, but we'll just use the old standard, okay? In the King James, that word success appears the sum total of one time. And I just read it to you. And that's what God used for that sermon I preached that night. If you found your notes, you would find that in there. Success. I think if I remember right, what I did that night was I just kind of talked about success some and defined success. I've preached on success since then from this passage of Scripture a number of times. I, I'm not even sure off the top of my head exactly how many times, but several times in several different places. God has just used that over and over to define success, to talk about, you know, what it is to be successful, how to be successful. Not that I'm any kind of prosperity preacher at all, because if I was to advertise it, come and listen to Justin Lawson preach tonight, and he's going to tell you how to be successful, that all the people that flock in here would probably be seriously disappointed in what I had to say. But what I would be telling them would be the truth from the Word of God. And that's what I'm going to tell you tonight. I didn't come to preach about how to how defining what success means, but I'm feeling like right in this moment that I need to do that real quick. That's not my point. I'm going to give you three steps to how to be successful tonight. That's what I'm going to do. Three steps to be successful, all right? 
But let me define success real quick. The world defines success in terms of, let's think about this for a minute, money, right? If you've got a bank account like Scott does that is just running over the brim with money, where the bank's calling you and telling you, you realize you're way past the, what is that, FDIC? Is that what they call that? He knows, you see what I'm saying? Way past the FDIC, and you need to do something here because if we were to go under, you'd be in terrible shape. I know I have that same problem. Preacher ain't supposed to lie, is he? The world determines it, right? That, that's one way that we define success, right, is in, in terms of money. We define success in terms of the kind of job or career that you've got, right? The world defines success in terms of things like, like prestige, your standing in the community, what your reputation is like. It defines success in terms of things like uh, what all you've accomplished in your life, what all that you have done, right? You, you can be, some people would even uh, define success in terms of um, the, your education and maybe the degrees that you have won, or not won, but you, the degrees you've earned and maybe the awards uh, that you have won or maybe the works and the charitable acts that you've done or maybe the number of people that you've helped or depending on the field that you're in, you know. I mean, it, there are so many things like that, right? Maybe some people would look at you and say, wow, they've got it together. They have really been successful because you got a nice house and a nice car and it appears at the very least anyways that you're doing well and that you've got your life together right along those lines I know I didn't completely cover it but that is wouldn't you agree that's basically how the world defines success now I'm not preaching about the how to define success but I feel like I need to say this tonight we kind of slip into that too church is not exempt from that because how do we define success? Jimmy, when pastors talk, what's the first thing they ask each other? I'm talking pastors that don't see each other every day, ones that are both pastoring. What's the first thing they ask about? They ask how their church is doing, right, Jimmy? And what is it that they're wanting to know when they ask how the church is doing? They're wanting to know the numbers that we put on the board out there every week. The church defines success in a similar way too often as the world does. Numbers on the board, right? People in the pews, the amount of giving that has been given, right? That's why we put those numbers on the board, isn't it? We, we say it's for accountability and encouragement but if we're not careful we're using that to define how well we will even if we're super spiritual or holy we we might do it by the altar response right soul saved right if they're coming to the altar then God's dealing with them we define success in terms like that 
but I can make a biblical case, and I did that night at Cold Springs, that that is not how God defines success. I, I got two quick illustrations, biblical illustrations to make my point, and I'll move on with my sermon. We talked this morning in Jennifer's Sunday school class about an incident in Numbers chapter 20 where, Mo, where God told Moses to speak to the rock. The people, right, he's got, what did we say, David? Two million people, something like that, Israelites following him. And they are moaning and groaning and complaining. And he is fed up to right here with all of it. He feels like he's leading the biggest herd of goats the world has ever seen in circles in the desert. And they ain't happy with nothing. And they are whining, griping, and complaining. And they're thirsty. And God tells Moses... Right? They, they cry out, and then Moses cries out to God. God tells Moses to speak to the rock. And bring forth water. Right? Okay, so here's what had happened. There's two incidents in the Bible that sound just like this. The first time, much earlier on, God tells Moses to strike the rock, and it'll bring forth water. And he does. But the second time, right, once is early in the Exodus, the second time is much later in the Exodus, the 40 years in the wilderness. Second time, God specifically tells Moses not to strike it, but to speak to it. The rock is a, is a, is a type of Christ. Christ is only, Donna brought it up, as a matter of fact, in Sunday school, or mentioned it. Christ is only smitten one time. He's only struck one time. That's at the cross. Right? Second time, he is not, he's not smitten. He is not struck. But Moses, in his anger, takes that, the staff, right? The stick he carries around with him, and he whacks that old rock. I think twice, doesn't it say? He whacks it twice. Okay, here's what happened. Now, God had told Moses what to do. This isn't something like thunder from heaven and everybody heard what God said. It's not like that at all. They probably wouldn't have listened if it had been. This was just God and Moses talking. And God tells Moses, gives Moses specific instructions just for Moses to speak to the rock and then bring forth water. Right? And he said, you sanctify me before the people. Moses, in his anger, doesn't speak to the rock. He strikes the rock. Water comes out. Two million plus people just saw Moses, right? And we could get into exactly what Moses said. Do we have to keep doing this for you know? I mean, there's a lot. His attitude and what he said. There's a there's a lot wrong in the whole picture. That's not my point. My point of the whole thing is is this. Those two million plus people asked for water and saw Moses provide water for them, and they were, for the moment, happy. 
got what they wanted. Now, how did they deem that? How did they see that? Well, that was a great big success. Right there, there's a success in Moses' ministry. Right? Big success! Well, we can make comparisons to that today to, you know, pastors and churches and big crowds and things like that. From the world's point of view, that's a big success. Right? How did God view it? From God's perspective, Moses did not obey. He didn't do what God had asked him to do. Matter of fact, he messed up what God was doing. And because of it, I'm just giving the short version here, because of it, Moses did not get to enter into the promised land. From the world's perspective, huge success. From God's perspective, complete failure. That tells me that God's definition and our definition of success is completely different. One other to make my point before I go on with my sermon. On the other end, and this was the other point I made that night, was, look at Noah. What does the Bible say, right? Noah's the one that, you know, God warned him of the flood that was coming, the impending uh, judgment on the whole world. Everybody, right, tells Moses, or not Moses, Noah, to build this great big uh, boat, this big ark. And that only what was on the ark would be spared, would be saved, right? Two of Two of all the animals, seven pairs of all the clean animals, right? Two of all the unclean. And then people-wise, only the ones that was on the ark. Noah, it, well, the Bible tells us, and it's either First or Second Peter, it says only eight, eight souls saved by water, right? It, that is Noah, his three sons, and all four of them's wives. That's the eight souls. That's the, all that is saved. The Bible also tells us, I always get mixed up if it's First Peter or Second Peter, because one of them tells us there was only eight souls saved. The other one tells us that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. The whole time Noah, and I know I've told you this before, the whole time Noah is building that ark. He's a preacher of righteousness. Don't you think he's preaching what God, I mean, was a preacher of righteousness preach? Don't you think he's warning the impending judgment and what's happening and what's going on? And only eight souls are saved? Him, his three boys, his wife, and their wives. Think about a preacher that preached his entire life. 50 years, 60 years, right? We can make argument that, that Noah has preached for 120 years, however long it was. And if that was all, take me for a minute, for a minute. Most of, not, not, not all of the world, and probably most of the church, if, 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 let's say that the Lord tarries and I live to be a good, old, ripe age, and I have preached and pastored and, and, and you know, preached twice a week and preached revivals and done all of this for 50, 60, 70 years or more, and at my funeral, the only, they, they, you know, they say the only people that was saved <coughs> was him Jennifer, his kids, and their spouses. That was it. Not another single soul. What would our denomination do if a church planter goes out and plants a new church? 
And the only people that can go after that he can get to go after years and years and years is him, his wife, their children, and when they eventually get married, their significant others. How are they going to judge that? Failure. Failure. That ain't how God saw it. In God's eyes, Noah was a huge success because Noah did exactly what God wanted, asked him to do, and he was faithful. So, the definition of success, not what the world says. That's not God's definition of it anyways. And we've got to be careful that we don't look at it the way the world looks at it. Now, I feel like I preached a long time on the definition of success, and that wasn't my point tonight. My point that I wanted to bring to you tonight about success is, is I want you to see as we look at our scriptures here tonight that, though first of all, the Lord is speaking to Joshua. God is making Joshua Moses' successor, and he's giving him instructions for entering into the promised land and taking the promised land. And they are, uh, they are to be strong and they are to be uh, courageous, Right? Uh, so in other words, he's, he's, they mean in the faith, they're to be strong and they're to be courageous, right? Because we know as they go in here, like when they go to Jericho, God's the one doing the fighting for them. And, they, and with that, they get God's promise of victory. They get God's word as a guide to them. And, and also they get the promise of the power of God's presence being with them. But... God being with them, their way being prosperous, that's all promises here in this, and no one being able to stand against them, that's literally what it says in here in the scriptures I just read to you, is all conditional. The condition is they are to be careful. Now I'm going to put this in my own words, but you study this and see if I'm wrong because I've studied this a lot. And a lot of different times over the years. The condition that God puts on them in order for them to have success, in order for them to be prosperous, is they are to be careful to observe the whole counsel of God. Right? The Bible, the Word of God, right? The, the, is, it, it uses the term in here, uh, the book of the law. So, so here's what I'm saying tonight. They, like us, are to read it, right? It says meditate on it day and night. They are to read it. They are to think on it. They are to memorize it. They are to speak it. They are to live it day and night. They are not to vary from the word of God, not in any way. They're not to turn to the right hand or the left hand. And that is the conditional promise. And then, and only then, will they be successful. And only, and only then, will they get, as it says here in the word, every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon. Only then. 
So, kind of the conditions that God lays out for them in passage of Scripture is you see in the first four verses, right? Someone who obeys the plan of God. And then in verse 5, someone who is in the presence of God. And then in verses 6 through 9, right, is someone who experiences the power of God, right? That's, that's kind of what he's laying out here. But the question, however, that I started out with is how do we, right, we see what he laid out for them, but we need to be able to apply this to us. <clears throat> so how do we achieve success? What are the steps, right? If I was writing a book, that's how I'd have to write it. What are the, you know, the steps to success? So what are the steps to success? Well, let me give you three real quick in just a minute and we'll be done. First one is we've got to live on the word of God. Literally live on the word of God. What do I mean by that? I mean that we've got to feed on the word of God. That's what we've got to live on. You will not be not successful in God's eyes. Now, you can be successful in the world's eyes a lot of different ways, both inside and outside the church world. But to be successful in God's eyes, right, and whatever we do, we've got to live on the word of God. Feed on the word of God, right? Uh, that's why Jesus tells Satan, right, when he's being tempted that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. We will not be successful without a steady diet of God's word. It is, right, you want to know, here's another good uh, book title if I was going to write a book, The Fuel of Success. Man, if I put that out there on, on, on one of them racks when you first walk in there to the Barnes and Noble and the bookstores out there, if it, I get it to pop up there on Amazon, man, everybody be buying that just off the title, The Fuel of Success. I'll tell you what The Fuel of Success is. It's right here. It's the Word of God. We've got to frequently and regularly. Oh, man, we are in such a generation. I may keep you here a minute tonight. We are in such a generation of Christians who are spiritually weak. We are spiritually weak because we're malnourished, right? It has amazed me. I am not somebody who was raised in church. I wasn't fed a steady diet of the Word of God from a young age and up. I was 27 years old before I even knowed anything. And I thought like I knowed much then, but that's when I got saved, right? And it has amazed me from the very early days how many Christians have sat in church for years and don't know nothing about from the Word of God? How in the world are they? How in the world? Maybe the Holy Spirit's dealing with you right now. If it's you, then riddle me this. How in the world could you feed on a static diet of the Word of God day in and day out, meditate on it day and night, and not know none of it? I'll be honest, probably didn't feed much on it. <laughs> probably pretty starved spiritually. Probably if you could see that old spirit man 
he wouldn't be nothing but skin and bones, barely alive. Mm. And so we end up with a generation and with a church that is lukewarm, that will, fly, that will go after any and every wind of doctrine blown to the left and blown to the right, And we end up in the mess that we're in today. So we must frequently and regularly pick up our Bibles, read it, study it. I mean, when God says here, this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, he means to feed on it. Let it be food for your souls, right? Eat it and enjoy it. For it's the only food that will feed and sustain you, uh, your, your, the spirit man, right? Your spiritual life. Uh, the Bible even talks about, right? In, in, in 1 Peter, it talks about uh, how there is milk of the word, right? This is nourishment for the baby Christians, right? And then it talks about later on for the grown-up Christians that there's meat there, right? God has given us a balanced diet, right, for his, for his own children. And as I said a minute ago, that's why he says that man shall not live by uh, bread alone, but by, and that means physical food, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. So that's the first step. First step to success and being successful, truly successful, is we must live on the Word of God. Let me give you a second one. Now listen to me close. We must live in the Word of God. I said on, now I'm saying in. What do you mean, preacher? That sounds kind of like the same thing, doesn't it? No. No. What I mean by living in the Word of God, not only do we live on the Word of God, in other words, we have a steady diet of it every day, right? You don't skip days without eating something, right? Very rarely, you've got to be sick or fasting. Otherwise, you eat a little bit of something every day, even if you're on diet. If you're on diet, it's probably all you think about is eating something. But, it's, but when we're talking about the Word of God in and, and, and nourishing and being healthy spiritually, then it's kind of like it's kind of like that dieting thing I was just talking about. Not only do you need to 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 live on it and you know eat some of it, but in a, I made the joke of if you're on diet, you probably think about it all the time. That's the way we got to be about the Word of God. That's what I'm talking about when I say we must live in the Word of God. We've got to dwell upon it. We've got to think upon it, right? The word, I'm talking about the Word of God all the time, right? We need to be obsessed with the Word of God. That's what we need to be thinking about. That's what he means when he says meditate upon it day and night, right? We are not only to have the Word of God in our mouths, but God uh, says that we are to meditate therein day and night, right? So we must let, we must always have it on our minds, not just in our mouths, but on our minds. We need to be thinking about it, right? We must let the truth uh, that we read enter into us and sink deep and dwell deeply in us, and we are to live in, in, in subjection and obedience, right, to the Word of God.
God and we're to bring every part of our life into that subjection, into that obedience to the teaching of God's word. The only way you'll do that is if you meditate on it day and night, right? Not only do you take it in, but then you you savor it, you think on it, you dwell on it, right? You meditate on it, right? And on what it is that God is teaching us, right? The Bible is to be the final authority for us in all manners of faith and practice. The blessed person is the one who what I mean by blessed person, right, is the person who loves, who is delighted with the Word of God. Psalms 1, that's another one of those that I like really well. I like it so well I should be able to quote it, but I'm, I'm afraid I'll mess it up here. So let me read it to you. Psalm 1, the second verse says, But his delight... Right, so it's talking about blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor setteth in the seat of the scornful, verse 2, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law does he meditate day and night. So, if we're going to be successful, we've got to live on the word of God. That's our substance. We've got to feed on it. We have got to live in the Word of God, right? We've got to think about it. We've got to be obsessed with it, right? It's got to be on our mind all the time. And then the third step to success is we must live out the Word of God, right? We've got to live it. it look, uh, there's too many, right? That You know, the world's always looking for an opportunity to point at you or me and say hypocrite and shake their finger. Uh, and, and that's just what they're going to do, and that's what they're looking to do. But unfortunately, too many times they're justified in their accusation because we might come to church, we might even read the Word of God, but we don't live it out. We don't live it every day. We, mu- we must allow it to become a part of us. So much a part of us that, I mean, that it just oozes out of us. And we just, by nature, right, we're reading it, we're feeding upon it, we're thinking about it, or thinking about it, dwelling upon it, meditating upon it, so much so that then we act it out. That's what we do. It's how we live. We must allow it to become a part of us. To me, this right here is, I guess you could call it the, the, the threefold secret of a life that is truly successful and prosperous. We've got to read our Bibles. We've got to let it into our hearts and our minds so that it becomes a part of us. So much to the point that it is literally controlling our actions and transforming our characters, who we are, the way we think, the way that... Do you understand if we do what I'm saying? That it will change the way that we react. Only then, only then will we prosper and succeed at all that we do for the Lord. That's it. That's the only way. I can't find 
any other way in the scripture. So maybe we're not quite to New Year's, but that's coming around the corner. And maybe that's the direction God's moving us, and maybe that should be the challenge. Maybe, maybe some of us have let our time in the Word of God kind of slip by the wayside. We've got busy, there's other things going on, and, and life is busy. I get that, I know that. And we've just not been spending the time in the Word like we should. If you're not spending time in the Word, you're not going to spend time dwelling on the Word, meditating upon it. And if you're not spending time doing that, then you're, you're not going to be spending time, uh, then it's not going to become a part of you, and you're not going to be living it out. You're not going to be that, that living sacrifice. You're not going to be a walking, talking Bible. So maybe that's the challenge to us. Is that we need to, now's the time. We need to get back into the Word. And we need to get deep. Maybe, maybe you've never really been in the Word. Well, now's the time. Don't be scared of it. Don't sit there and think, well, I can't understand it. Well, none of us can without the Holy Spirit. But look, He ain't no respecter of persons. He'll reveal to you just the same as He'll reveal to me. You just need to pray. You need to, you need to pray and then open up your Bible and you need to start reading. Ask God for understanding. Ask Him for guidance. But don't isolate yourself. That's why we have Bible studies. That's why you listen to preachers and all of these things, right? The Bible tells us iron sharpens iron. We challenge each other in our thoughts and the way we're thinking and check each other too. Time to get in the Word. The devil's coming at us with everything he's got. He knows his days are short. He knows his time is short. And he's going to come at you. You better, you, better be, you better be prayed up. That's what we always say is prayed up. You better be prayed up. You better be fed up too with the Word of God, right? Healthy, right? Nourished. Would you stand to your feet? I want to open the altar and give you an opportunity to come tonight. Spirit of God dealing with you. You've got a need. You've got a burden. Would you come tonight? Whatever it is, would you come tonight?